Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning, we're going to get to unravel a couple more pieces as to who our Jesus is. So if you will, turn with me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 39. I did read that last week, but we're going to get rolling into uh, what we have in front of us today. It says, so when they performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, remember that was taking them to the temple for the dedication ceremonies and all that, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon them. When they, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents here on earth, um, when they had performed all the things according to the law, raising him as unto the Lord, you know, as we read in Proverbs 22, 6, to train up a child, in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Um, Just a beautiful thing that they have done here, and an amazing thing. So when they performed all the things according to the law, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. I've got a big bird trail here right now, and we'll see if we get very much farther (laughs) than one verse this morning. But I'm just so mindful of what it is that it must have been like to be... Jesus's parents and raising him and to be Jesus growing up the friends of Jesus the family of Jesus what that would look like you know and and uh, I'm mindful also we've got the king's kids kickoff okay uh, that we start the school year off with and and recognize that you cannot raise godly children in one hour a week on Sunday it ain't gonna happen okay it needs it's something that needs to be done 24 Seven, if, if you want to have godly children, they've got to be raised in a godly environment. The whole community, the church, the family, your friends, everything needs to be orchestrated around that. And that's why we have the King's Kids Ministry on Sunday morning where they get to know Jesus, right? And then on, on Wednesdays, we have something really exciting coming your way. I'm, we're going to unpack it for you in great detail on the 28th, so you don't want to miss this. But we're shifting gears a little bit on Wednesday nights. And uh, we will be now having what we're calling the King's Kids Clubhouse. Okay? And so uh, exciting things to come out of that. A little bit different than what they do on Sunday morning. But a total compliment and blessing to that. So if you want your kids to be exposed more than one hour a week, we have that on Wednesday. Also with our youth, our middle school and, and high school youth. We have that on Wednesday night as well. And also, uh, Frankie and Jasmine are doing discipleship with the youth on Friday nights. And so, another place where you can give your kids uh, some time. And for many of us in the church, uh, homeschool families, we have our Veritas program, which is on Thursdays. And the whole community, people from other churches, all come together. They can raise their children, give them good biblical homeschool education, and make sure that Jesus is the heart and center of of everything they learn and who they are and what they do. Because we live in treacherous days, difficult days, perilous times. And uh, it's not easy 
raise Christian kids. Um, as we look at this, and, and it says, um, so when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, comma, do you see the comma there? Okay, it's there, right? Comma, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The reason I pick that or point that out is because if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, it's at this point in time before returning to Nazareth that the angel comes and tells Joseph, you need to flee. Herod the Great wants to kill this person who the Magi have said is born to be king of the Jews. So Herod sends a whole group down to Bethlehem and massacres all these innocent babies up to two years old. But because God had warned Joseph in a dream, they went to Egypt. They stayed in Egypt for a season. We don't know how long they were in Egypt. We know it. they were back by the time he was 12 years old and actually quite a bit earlier than that, as we'll see this morning. But nevertheless, they, they were able to do that. And then the angel came and said, Herod has died. That person who wanted to kill your baby is dead. It's safe for you to return home, comma, and they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Do you see that there? Okay, that's there, right? And so I bring that out. But just from the very moment of his birth, people were trying to destroy Jesus. Joseph and Mary, people were trying to destroy their child. They returned to Nazareth. We talked about Nazareth in great detail, right? Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we kind of told the story of that. And Nazareth was rather notorious. It was infamous for a lot of things that were, if, if there was anything that you could say about it, it wasn't a good thing. It was a, 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 a negative thing or a worldly thing or a secular kind of a thing. But um, it's kind of interesting. It says here, and I'm going to go on this bird trail, it says that they returned to Galilee. Now, Galilee, you know about in the scriptures, right? Uh, it's uh, from the Hebrew word ha-galil. And what that literally means is the ring or the circuit. And it's a description of this region. Uh, it's the northernmost of the three geographic regions of Israel. In the south is Judea, in the center is Samaria, and to the north is the, the Galilee, Hagalil, okay? The ring or the circuit, okay? And um, it's, um, it's, it runs from east to west across the northern tier of Israel, starting at the Golan Heights and then encircling the Sea of Tiberias, okay? That's the proper name of the sea. And, uh, and then it follows the ancient east-west trade route that crossed from the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, the Via Maris, the, the route to the sea, it crossed through an area uh, called the Jezreel Valley towards the Mediterranean coast. It's south of Mount Hermon and, and Lebanon. I'm, I'm giving you kind of a geographical description because this is a very significant place on the planet. Obviously, Jesus grew up there. That makes it significant. But it was significant in some ways long before Jesus and will be uh, in our near future. Okay? And I'll kind of explain that. So, Nazareth is in the hills on the north side of this uh, plains of Esdraelon or the Jezreel Valley. Um, and it's about a three to five day journey to Jerusalem. So, they're returning from uh, they're going to Jerusalem and back and forth on this, on this route, about three to five days, depending on if they take 
the Jordan route through Israel or the mountain route through Samaria, which we will learn in the scriptures, people don't go that way, although Jesus does, right? Because Jesus isn't concerned with which way he goes. But it's rather interesting in all of this. Now, they, it says, so when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city. The child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Okay, so this is something that would have been part of Jesus' childhood growing up. Remember, we want to get to know our Jesus. Let me know, what, what's, what was it like when you grew up, Jesus? Well, one thing is we always went to the temple. Every three times a year uh, at what's known as the Shalosh Regalim, or the three feasts that we read about in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 16, 16, and other places, it says that this is something you should do. If you're at all possible, you need to come for this huge date night, if you will, this huge gathering of God and his people. And that would be on Passover in the springtime, Pentecost in the summer, and tabernacles in the fall. And they would travel for these things. And so they would take this journey, um, and we get all of this, okay? And as we look at all of this, it's interesting, as we look at this region of Galilee, Luke writes more about this area of Galilee and Jesus' ministry in Galilee than all the other gospel writers combined. A great portion of Luke's records are what Jesus' life was like in the early parts of his ministry and even a little vignette here of uh, before he started into his ministry. It's interesting from the top of uh, Mount Precipice, as it's named, uh, just outside of Nazareth. That's the cliff where the elders are going to try to throw Jesus off after he teaches in the synagogue. We'll see that coming up in chapter 4. But off the top of Mount Precipice, you can look to the south, and about seven miles away, you can look down over the Estrelon Plains, the Jezreel Valley. Okay, just like if you go to Mount Harrison and you look down, you see all of this. It's very, very similar in that regard. Um, but it's interesting in this, this place, uh, the Jezreel Valley, and from seeing the Jezreel Valley about another eight miles on the south side, the south rim of the valley, is this mountain called Mount Megiddo. Now, I'm going to pull all these pieces together. All this really relates to what we're talking to this morning, okay? So, it's interesting, this particular area where Jesus grew up, Nazareth, Jezreel Valley, proximate to Mount Megiddo, over the past 4,000 years, there have been at least 34 extremely bloody international conflicts or wars waged in the Jezreel Valley. The Egyptians fought there, the Canaanites, the Israelites, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, Hasmoneans, as we go on through history, the Greeks fought there, the Romans fought there, the Muslims fought there with Saladin, the, the Crusaders fought there, the Marmelukes fought there, the Mongols fought there, the Genghis Khan, the French, the Ottomans, the British, the Australians, the Germans, and the Arabs. This valley, right where Jesus grew up, is like the epicenter of so many major wars in all of world history. With all these big empires and world players, they come there to duke it out, okay? Uh, kind of interesting in that. The names of these generals, you would recognize them. Tutmos III of Egypt, 
Deborah the, in, the, in the Bible, Barak, Caesarea, Gideon, Saul, Jonathan, and then Shishak, and Jehu, and Joram, and Jezebel, and Josiah, Antiochus, Ptolemy, Vespasian, Saladin, Napoleon fought there, Allenby, General Allenby in uh, World War um, too, and to, to, name, to name just a couple of them, right? This place was just where battles fought, were fought all the time. Throughout Israel, throughout history, the Jezreel Valley has been ground zero for battles that determine the very course of civilization. Even Napoleon Bonaparte, when he was there, he declared this battlefield is the most natural battleground of the whole earth, okay? And uh, it's no wonder that as we move forward on our clock, the end times, apolic, uh, uh, apocalyptic, I got, I got my emphasis on my syllables wrong, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the end times apocalyptic judgment war, we know as the battle of Armageddon, you know where it gets that name? You read about it in Revelation 16, 16. It's Har, which is the Hebrew word for mountain, Har Megiddo. Have you heard Megiddo this morning? Megiddo is that mountain on the south side of this valley where all these battles are waged. So it is at Mount Megiddo, Har Megiddon, Armageddon, where the final battle, the penultimate war uh, between good and evil will take place, okay? So this is where Jesus grew up, right? It's just a crossroads of empires just crushing each other and fighting with each other. Now, the point of all this geography and history uh, is to point out that while Jesus grew up on the greatest battlefield of all the world, smack dab in the middle of the crosshairs of history with the Romans and the Jews and the Samaritans and emperors and kings and priests and lawyers and publicans and politicians that all hated each other. Does that sound like anything you've experienced in the last week? Judaism was under attack. The religion of Jesus' day, his community, his family, his synagogue, his church, if you will, and it was not just under attack from outside. It was totally divided and splintered amongst itself. The world that Jesus grew up in was anything but ideal, okay? And yet we read in verse 40, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Wow. How many of you parenting would love to be able to unlock that little tidbit? Ever bought a book on raising children, raising godly children? Cheryl and I bought a handful of them. I remember James Dodds and How to Win it, Raise a Strong-Willed Boy was our favorite. And uh, we got a lot of mileage out of that. I'm, we were blessed, very blessed. And yet here, Joseph and Mary, in the midst of all of this, are blessed to be able to raise Jesus. And the commentary, the Holy Spirit, moves on Luke to say is the child became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, okay? Dr. Luke emphasizes that Jesus grew through all the many developmental milestones of childhood, right? He would have gone through teething, first steps, first words, growing out of your baby teeth, etc., etc., right? But the thing that stood out most, and this is what 
Luke records is his spiritual development. That's what Dr. Luke highlights for us. So that's not to say that at five years old, he knew everything that he would know at 30, okay? It's not like he was born, and the instant he was in the manger, he's quoting prophecy or something. He grew and developed as a normal child, but as he would go through these stages, he was excellent in his spirit and, uh, and in the presence of God. The grace of God was upon him, we read. So, interesting here. He would be first class, first in his class, if you will, at five years old, down in King's Kids or whatever. And we've got some of these kids. Have you ever met them? Uh, this is one of the things you can do at the Agape Feast, okay? While we're gathered after church today and all the families are there and the kids are running around, they're eating their cookies or doing whatever, just stop and ask them, hey, what'd you learn in Sunday school today? Or just start getting into a conversation. And you'll find out that a lot of our kids know more than a lot of kids, that, people that have gone to church their whole life because we teach them Jesus. We, we introduce them to his word, we introduce them to the person of Jesus. And, and these kids are amazing. Well, Jesus would have been first in his class. Now, on one hand, you could say it must have been easy to have been Jesus' parents, right? Because uh, raising him to be a godly man wouldn't be too hard when he is, in fact, the God-man, okay? That should just kind of happen, right, by default. Um, but on the other hand, godly parenting has always been difficult since Cain and Abel. It's, it's not easy, okay? Today's parenting is fraught with perils and pitfalls and harassment from neighbors and governors above and beyond anything I ever experienced growing up. It's, it takes your breath away what's going on and what parents and kids, the gauntlet they have to run through today. It, just a, a short list of the things that kids face today the majority of which I didn't even knew existed, okay? We've got our woke schools with our liberal agendas, the CRT, the BLM, the 1619 Project, active school shooters, the LGBTQAI, LGBTQIA+, plus, question mark, dollar sign, explanation point, whatever, the indoctrination, right? Gender fluidity, pronoun fluidity, trans sports programs, pornography in libraries. This is what our kids face. Did you have that when you were in school? Okay. And not just that, the cultural chaos, the political insanity, <laughs> pandemics and masks and lockdowns and vaccinations and World Health Organization, Centers for Disease Control and the World Economic Forum, United Nations, the 2030 Agenda, global warming, climate change, nuclear weapon proliferation, terrorism, social media, swamps, fake news, the January 6th debacle, liberal denominations of churches, right? Same-sex marriage, abortion, monkeypox, open borders, fentanyl, human trafficking, homelessness, skyrocketing suicides, mob riots, criminal amnesty, inflation, recession, BDS, defund the police, militarize the IRS, emasculate the military, politicize the FBI, supply chain breakdowns, baby formula shortages, energy implosion, food shortages. Could I go on? Pray for parents. Support parents. 
help parents serve in children's church, serve on Wednesday night, contribute to their causes, be part of helping these kids, but at the very least pray for them. What is a parent going to do in this day and age? How do you raise a kid to be strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and have the grace of God upon him? Well, we don't know a lot, but we do have a couple hints, okay? If you look into the book of Hebrews, there's a passage. It speaks of Jesus at a, a more mature age, but it gives insight to this process. In Hebrews chapter 4, at verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus as our high priest, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, Yet, without sin. Jesus ran the gauntlet. Our kids are going to have to run the gauntlet. And yet, Jesus got through it unscarred. How? It says, that continuing in Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 7 and 9, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard... Because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became an author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Just want to highlight a couple things in this. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. Let me break down a couple of words here for starters. The word learned is mateo in the Greek, and it means to come to understand. It doesn't mean that you instantly understand, but that you have come to a place where you do now understand. And we're speaking of Jesus here. It's kind of a conundrum, but it'll unwrap itself here. Also, he learned obedience. This is what he learned. This is what he came to understand. Hupakoe, uh, which is to heed or to conform or to comply or to submit or to obey. He learned to conform. He learned to comply. He learned to submit, to obey, okay? And it says because of or through or by the things he suffered, paxco, okay? Uh, this is that, that, that idea of what he experienced physically, mentally, emotionally. It deals with what Jesus experienced here on earth. And so you can kind of wrap this thought into this maybe little phrase or way of thinking. Jesus, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, almighty God, became a man and dwelt amongst us. And for the first time in eternity and in the time that God created, for the first time, in a human body, soul, and spirit, he suffered and experienced everything we suffer and experience. And through that, he understands physically, mentally, emotionally what it is to be tempted in all ways and yet still comply, obey, submit, not sin. Just miraculous in all of this. God knew all of these things before he even spoke the world into creation. 
There wasn't a bit of this that he didn't know. But he didn't experience it. He didn't walk it out just like you and I have to walk it out until he robed himself in human flesh and submitted himself to all of these different things. And the key, I think, in how did he get through this gauntlet, it says through prayers and supplication with vehement cries in godly fear. There's your recipe, mom and dad. There's your recipe, Christian. How are we going to finish this race? How are we going to get to the other side? It's going to take prayer. It's going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of supplication. Lord, help. I need you. I can't do this without you. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your word. I need your church. I need you, God, to guide me and to lead me. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll follow that light under my path. But you have to be the one. So it takes prayer. It takes supplication and vehement cries. Okay? This is like cries that kind of start somewhere down at your toenails and they just work their way out. I mean, it, it, it's the whole being, all of your fiber just saying, Lord, help me. Are we doing that? Are we doing it for our children? Are we doing it for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors? Are we doing that for ourselves? Because that's how Jesus did it. It's what it says. That's right out of the word. With vehement cries in tears. And yeah, you're going to shed a couple of tears raising a kid. You're going to shed a couple of tears walking the road to Calvary. It's just part of the package. And it begins and it stays centered in godly fear. Awe, reverence, amazement. Now, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of pastor, preacher, like a lot of people can be or some churches are. Although on Wednesday night, when we were studying in the book of Exodus, there was a bit of hellfire and brimstone there. And you know what I did? I preached hellfire and brimstone because that was where we were. That's what God was saying that night. And you have to be faithful to what God says. And the way that God says it, and the heart that God says it. And as you go through the scriptures and you look, I was talking with uh, Frankie. He was getting ready to teach in the book of Colossians. In chapter 3, there's a list of all the things that if you practice these things, you're going to burn. You're going to go to hell. You're not going to get to heaven, right? And you know, if you read the Bible any length of time, there's more than one list. There's, they're all over, right? You can find it in Revelation or Romans or Galatians. Or pretty much open a book and you're going to find these things that those who practice these things aren't going to heaven. And as a Christian, you might get a bit rattled or unnerved. In fact, Frankie was having kind of that a moment like that when I was talking with him. He's like, man, I've been a Christian all these days, but if I do that thing, you mean I'm out? I said, well, a couple things, watch. It says in almost every one of these passages, there's, there's a clause that says for those who practice these things. Is that your habit? Is that what you do? Is that the old man that just used to do it and didn't think about it? Or now is it something that you don't practice? You might stumble, you might fall, but it's not your habit. It's not your reputation. It's not what people would say about you. You just had a, a fall, okay? Or it says some such were some of you. And in fact, it's pretty much such were all of us, okay? In every way, we've done things that would cause us not to be able to get into heaven but now by the grace of God <laughs> our debt 
has been cleared. Our sin is forgiven. We've been washed. We've been cleansed white as wool. Okay, we're, we're spotless and clean before the Lord. And, and God has given us a way through confession and repentance that we can stay in that, in that good place. And he's even given us his Holy Spirit. We read in, in John chapter 16, he gives us his Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin that we would know what is wrong. That still small voice says, mm -mm -mm. you know better than that. You've read it. You've seen it. It's been told you. Don't go there. And that conviction is actually the seat belts, okay, that keeps you from going through the windshield, okay? God gives that to you. It's a good thing. And some people, when they get convicted of this sin that they remember they did, or maybe they're convicted of it before they do it, and, and, and a lot, what a lot of people do is it, it bothers them, and so they stop reading the Bible, you know what, if I don't read the next book and the next book and the next book, I won't have to read the next list and the next list and the next list. I find it very interesting that the Apostle Paul, who wrote most all the letters, biggest bulk of them in the New Testament, 20 plus years into his ministry, after writing a ton of the letters we read, he says in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am. The things that I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I do them. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? This is the professional Christian Paul, <laughs> right? And yet, decades into his walk, these temptations continue to come his way. How can we be like Jesus and yet without sin? Prayer, supplication, vehement cries, tears, and godly fear. There it is, the recipe, and it's a gift from God. It's the ticket to keep us headed in the right way. And I, I, can I get an amen? Anybody ever experience this? I mean, it's, it's a deal. It's a real deal. So, moving on. We just might get out of verse 2 here. <laughs> okay, the child grew and became strong in spirit. Filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Notice that these are things that God did for Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving in him, and he does for you and I. He fills us. He strengthens us. He grows us. You don't grow yourself. You might get a little bigger if you eat too much chocolate cake, but you're not really growing your person, okay? Your Christian person. But you might get a little bit stronger in the Lord. If you read his word, if you pray, you fellowship, you serve, you give, you'll find out that you grow strong, okay? So moving forward a little bit, we know just a little bit of Jesus' life from the time he was one month old, which we read last week, to the time that he was 12, which is coming up in just a second. Except for these two general statements that we read in verse 40, the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and grace was upon him. And then if you jump over to 52, we also read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. So he continued growing his whole life in this knowledge, this understanding of obedience, conformity, submission to the will of the Father. Okay? Um, so we know a little bit about that. 
Now, you might be curious about details of his childhood. Who wouldn't be? Tell me more stories, right? But there really isn't anything that we need to know except what we are told by the Holy Spirit in the Word. Okay? If it ain't in here, we don't need to know it. Otherwise, God would have told it to us. And so the things that you speculate and you're wondering about, get the DVD. Okay? When you get to heaven, and you'll get a lot more of this uh, information. Now, to satisfy our curiosity, many men have written their own so-called infancy gospels, okay? The, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church have added books. They call them the Apocrypha, 14 books that are not inspired. They're not part of the biblical canon or official books of the Bible. They've actually just recently taken them out in printing. It's kind of funny. They, they said, because it costs too much to add those 14 books to the middle of their Bible. And so now you buy one and they're not in there. It's like, if they're the word of God, I think they'd be worth printing. But we see, they aren't. And these are filled with all kinds of, of stories, silly miracles, okay? Like Jesus talking from the manger. You can read that in some of these. Or healing a man made into a mule by a spell. You're probably going to want to go out and read these things now. It's like, oh, there's a story about that? Yeah, but it's made up, okay? It's not inspired by God. Uh, you might have heard the one about bringing these uh, clay birds to life with the clap of his hand. That's a super popular one that goes around sometimes. Um, healing people with a sprinkling of his old bath water. Uh, it goes on. These, these hidden miracles, right, in Jesus' infancy. Uh, yet I think it's best for us to apply this policy. Where the scripture hath no tongue, we must have no ears. You hear what I'm saying? When the scripture's silent, zip it. That's not for us. It's not, it's not a thing that we need to know. But we do have one thing that's really cool right here. Verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Okay. God wants us to know this story. He put it on Luke's heart. As he's interviewing Mary, tell me these stories. This is one that belongs in the canon of scriptures. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Godly parents bringing their kids to church. Kind of a, a cool picture in all of that, how that plays out. Um, I've got a, a cute little thing here. I don't know <laughs> how appropriate this may or may not be, but it's just it's meant to be humor and light. Uh, but 
they, they took Jesus to synagogue. They took him to temple. They took him to all the things that would be expected. Have you ever heard of parents that say, I don't want to impose my religion on my child. I'll just let them pick what they want when they grow up. Do you realize how idiotic that is? How insane that is? It's your job, parent, to teach your kid the truth. If you don't show them the truth, who else will? And, uh, but anyway, there's this story, and it, it, uh, it's two old farmers, okay? They were discussing a newspaper article about a meth lab that was discovered in their area. The first farmer said, I don't understand why kids nowadays have drug problems. Why, when I was a kid, I never had a drug problem. The second farmer said, I think I understand. You see, when I was a kid, I had a serious drug problem. The first farmer replied, I've known you all my life, and I never knew you had a drug problem. The second farmer answered, sure you did. We all had drug problems when we were kids. When we were young, we were drugged to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. We were drugged to church for weddings and funerals, Christmas and Easter. We were drugged to the river for baptisms and picnics. We were drugged to family reunions and drugged to community gatherings, regardless of the weather. We were drugged by our ears to the principal whenever we disobeyed the teacher or drugged by our folks for a scolding whenever we disrespected adults. We were drugged by our ears to the woodshed whenever we were caught lying, cheating, gambling, smoking, or brought home a bad report card. We were drugged to the kitchen sink to have our mouths washed out with soap for cussing or speaking ill of a teacher or a preacher or a president. We were drugged by our moms to weed the garden, drugged by our dads to tend the livestock. We were drugged to the homes of the elderly or a neighbor who was down on their luck and needed help a helping hand to repair a clothesline, chop firewood, or mow the lawn, and drug back to the woodshed if our folks ever found out that we even accepted a single dime for a tip. Those drugs are still in my veins, and they affect my behavior in everything I do, say, and think. They are stronger than cocaine, crack, heroin, fentanyl. If today's children had this kind of drug problem, the world would be a whole lot better place. Amen. I don't know who wrote that, but amen. That, you know, I think we can all recognize. Now, in, in many, many of our cases, sadly, that wasn't our experience growing up. And, and we have to deal with what we have in our hands today. But what we do have is the Word of God. What we do have is the Son of God. What we do have is the witness of God and the witness of so many people around us that are here to help us do this job. And so, together... We can, we can whoop this, uh, this problem uh, with, with kids in the world. Anyways, we could certainly give it a, our best shot. So it says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Okay? Uh, I talked about this, the Shalosh Relegim, the three festivals, Pentecost, Passover, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. This happens to be Passover. Uh, when they had finished the days, and Passover is a long feast. They would have been there for seven to ten days, okay, enjoying so many things. We we're going to read about this in the, in the time when Jesus is going to be crucified. That happened to be at Passover, but it's, it's a couple decades forward from what we're reading today here, okay? But he was faithful. It says, when they had finished the days, they returned 
the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Just a small thing, because it says the boy Jesus, okay, emphasizing that he's not a grown man. The word in Greek is pais, and it literally talks about uh, would be a child or a young man. But that same word is often used in the Bible uh, as a servant or a slave, okay? And what this word underscores is that he is obedient. He's subject to his parents, okay? And so the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. It was funny. We were at the fair just uh, last week in Minidoka, and uh, it was a great time. I, I, I was so blessed to see so many of our families in the fellowship here, especially that are involved in 4-H, and how many of the kids in this fellowship who are not only godly kids and they're in church, but they're in 4-H, and they're in, in school or homeschool, and they're just thriving and doing so well. And so many of our kids excel. They got the, the grand prize, right? or Grand Reserve Championships. A bunch of our kids were doing excellent on all aspects of their life. But as I was there, I'm talking with a lot of different people, some of you possibly, um, but we're, we're having a, a, a huge influx, you might have heard of it, of people from out of state moving to the area. And so we're inviting them. you got to come to the fair, right? And they go to the fair, and whatever they may think about it or not think about it, how it compares to a fair or an event and wherever they came from, more than one person, several different people in different occasions that I was talking, they were, they were a bit concerned about all these kids running around unchaperoned, okay? And it's like, where I come from, that's like child abuse. Social services would be called. That kid could be taken from you. You know, it's like, this is Idaho. We have free-range kids, Okay. But, but, but what changed? Did, did it change from when you were a kid or when you were young? I mean, when I was young, we went out and played all day long. And it, where I grew up, it was a city. They had streetlights, and the rule was come home when the streetlights come on. Otherwise, my mom would actually send us outside and don't even come back inside. You're thirsty, there's a hose. You need to do something else, there's a bush. Don't come back. That was how I was raised. You know, and, and, and that's how kids here are raised. But it, and that's how Jesus was raised, okay? And so they go, this three- to five-day journey from Nazareth, about 90 miles to Jerusalem. It's a big caravan. Everybody, not just from Nazareth, but all the communities. As they get on the highways and more people feed in, you get closer. The, it would have just been a nonstop stream of people pouring into Jerusalem and then pouring back out. And while they're there, Jesus, he's 12 years old. I mean, he's practically an adult, right? He's just running around with his buddies, having a good time. And when the street lights go, I guess, or the sun goes down, come back to camp, wherever we're hanging out, right? That kind of thing. But they get one day's journey outside of Jerusalem. And if they were taking the, um, the Jordan River way, they probably would have been down close to Jericho about this time. So it's downhill, about 16 miles. And uh, they're looking around camp, and where's Jesus? We can't find him. Can't find him anywhere. And look, and look, and look, and look. They decide, oh, man, we got to go back. We left Jesus. We lost the Messiah. <laughs> where, where, where did we put God, you know? And so 
It's another day up the hill, one day down, one day up, and then a day looking around, trying to find him. Where would you look for a kid, you know? I don't know if they have candy shops or ice cream stores or whatever, but where would you expect to find your kid? Where do they find him? It says, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, <laughs> sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Wow, okay? This is why this is included in the childhood stories of Jesus, because that is the kind of kid he is. This is how he grew, strong in spirit and wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And this is pretty miraculous. Okay, so at Passover or the Great Feast, the Sanhedrin, the rulers, the elite teachers of Israel would come into the temple grounds, and they would entertain audiences asking questions, because everybody's here from, like, the far corners of Israel, and they might have questions. Oh, oh, this came up in our, our Torah study. What does that mean, Rabbi, right? And so they'd be there at the temple to answer people's questions. And they find Jesus, this boy, 12 years old, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, so you understand the way this works. In that culture, the teacher sat, the students stood. That's the way that worked, okay? It was out of respect for the teacher and the, the, the students, the Mateos, they would have somebody who was their teacher. Didaskalos is the word. In the Bible, it's often translated not just teacher, but it's also translated master. In fact, most of the time it's translated master. And it also has the translation of doctor. Okay? And so he's sitting and all of these teachers, all of these doctors... All of these learned, wise rabbis, masters, kind of, if you're familiar with the Star Wars series of, of movies, right, there is the master and the Padawan, right? The disciple, the follower. You attach yourself to your teacher, your doctor, your, your master. And so now all these guys, this is the Sanhedrin, the most learned, brilliant people in Israel and Jesus has an audience with them at 12 years old. Another little piece of information, I don't know how it bears on this specifically, it doesn't say, but it is at 13 years of age in Judaism that a boy or a girl is examined that they would understand the, their religion. Basically, their Torah, okay? The first five books of the Bible and, and whatever the rabbis would ask them. And they would have to go through... Um, uh, an examination, a cross-examination to make sure they were competent and they knew the law of Moses. They knew the Torah. They knew the law of God. And if they could pass this inquest, this inquiry, and they know it's coming. Every kid knows it. When I'm 13 years old, I'm going to have to go behind, before the rabbis. I'm going to have to pass this test. And then I will become what is known as a son of the law. Okay? Son in Hebrew is bar. Law in Hebrew is mitzvah. You might have heard of a bar mitzvah, okay? This is this coming-of-age ceremony. This is a rite of passage. This is that moment. It's like a quinceanera for a girl, right, in the Spanish culture. It's that moment where they are no longer a boy, but they're a man. Now, I'm not saying that's this, okay? I'm not saying that, but the age is about right. Jesus is at that age, maybe even a year before that age, and now he's surrounded by all these masters, teachers, doctors, can you imagine how odd this is? Okay, do you, anybody know a middle school kid? 
Anybody know anybody in middle school? Man, you guys need to get out. <laughs> Come, you don't know anybody in middle school? Okay, this is your assignment. At the Agape Feast, find a good cookie and see if you can give it to a middle school kid. They'll take it from you, I promise. And then think about that kid sitting in the middle of rocket scientists, nuclear physicists, brain surgeons, and answering all their questions. Because that's how it worked. The Socratic method or the way the rabbis would teach would be by asking the students questions. So here's the boy Jesus, 12 years old, at this temple, surrounded by all the doctors, the most learned people, and asking them questions and seeing how well they answer, listening to their answers. Can you see what's going on here? And what's so amazing about this is these are the most learned theologians, people that understand God and the Bible and the Torah, and they lead the nation in worship and all this kind of stuff. And they think they are asking Jesus questions. It says that they were literally... um, astonished, okay, beside themselves in this understanding. But not only were they astonished by his answer, because they had just had a glimpse for a minute like we do. It was God they were talking to. You want to know a theological question? Can you think of anybody better to ask? Do you think anybody knows the word of God better than the word made flesh and dwelt amongst us, right? And so Jesus, we can see here, is very self-aware. At this point, he knows who he is. And the way I say that is, look what happens here. Verse 48. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Okay? This is a little bit different word. Instead of just being beside themselves, now they are struck senseless. They don't know what to think. They're, (laughs) what are you doing with those men? Right? But this isn't in a bad way. This is like, I can't believe it. My boy is answering every one of their questions. And they're struck senseless. They don't know what to think. They do know. There's no doubt about it. They know he is the Son of God, Messiah, come to deliver the nation of Israel. That's been clearly explained to them. But they're trying to experience it as they go, too. How does that work? I don't even get that. i got to finish. But this is why i got to throw it out, especially today. Talking about kids and raising kids, and, and, and all of this. When I was a sixth grade teacher, I, I, was, I worked in a Christian school, right? So I could teach Jesus all day long. I taught math, I taught Jesus. I taught history, I taught Jesus. I taught science, I taught Jesus. And I taught Bible. That was one of the classes I taught. I taught Bible. But in all of this, with these little sixth graders, about 12 years old, one of the things that God really impressed upon my heart as I would teach them, I said, do you guys not know, and now you're, you're, the sixth, you're the sixth graders, do you not know that the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart, they will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not like 25%, and then if you go to church, you get 50%, and if you tithe and offer, man, you can get 100%. It's not like that. You receive Jesus Christ. You have God, almighty, omniscient God indwelling you. Kids, is there anything that I can teach you that maybe you can't teach me? You've got the ghost. You've got God. And I should listen up 
because you may be speaking truth to me, and sometimes we just look right over the top of it. This is that moment, and, and both Joseph and Mary are trying to figure that out. And he says to them, why did you seek me? Well, most kids would guess, yeah, yeah, I'm your kid. I've been gone for three days. Think about this. He's been teaching for three days now. <laughs> and, and, and it's still going on. Why did you seek me? Of course, Jesus, you're our responsibility. You're our kid. You know, we need to come and find you. But there's a much more to this. Why? why are you seeking me because I'm your responsibility? Because they'll call social services if you lose me? Is that why you're seeking me? Are you seeking me because you know I'm son of God? I, I am your savior, your deliverer. You said it yourself, Mom. That was a great song you wrote a chapter ago. Is that why you're coming to see me? Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Or literally, that I must be about my father, about the affairs of my father, about the important things of my father. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me how this all plays out. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up because i really got to wrap this up. But I want to just pass on through this for just a little bit longer. Okay, so here's Jesus. We clearly know. We've read already in the first couple chapters the Annunciation from Gabriel and the miraculous conception and the amazing birth and the band of angels and the shepherds and in other gospels we see the magi travel from the east and bring him gifts and angel warns him and i mean by now they clearly know that this is the son of god just as it was spoken to them amazing miraculous they know that and we read in john chapter 1 at verse 18 i better i didn't put my posting note there john 1:18 we read no one has seen god at any time the only begotten Son who is in the Father has declared Him or revealed Him or explained Him. It, it, it goes on a little bit more in detail. Jesus now speaking to Philip in the upper room. You know the place where it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He goes on to say, uh, we don't know the way. And he says, you know the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in verse 7 of John 14, we read, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else... Believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. Have we seen Jesus? Has Luke shown him to us? Has the Holy Spirit 
declared it in our heart? Do we experience them from day to day in our prayers, in our supplications, in our vehement cries, in our tears, in our fear? Are we recognizing who Jesus is and what it is that he has done for us, is doing for us, and is yet to do for us? It's exciting. So (laughs) I, I need to be about my father's business. Well, let's summarize that business. Here in chapter 4, it's to preach. (laughs) Coming up in chapter 9, it's going to be to suffer. And in John chapter 3, it's to be lifted up and crucified and buried. That's my father's business. That's what I came to do. Do we see that? It says, and I'll finish up. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Battlefield earth right crosshairs of history and was subject to them even though he knows who he is he's self-aware i am the son of god i'm messiah i am savior of the world almighty god and yet he humbled himself made himself of no reputation and submitted himself christian if our jesus does that what do you think we ought to be doing Right? Humbling ourselves. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. I can just imagine that interview of Luke and Mary when he's getting these stories. Yeah, let me tell you this one story, Luke. I really don't talk about it much, but there was this one time we lost him. And we found him. And wow, did we find him. And Jesus increased, continued, continued increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew in grace. It's not that God just gives us grace to be saved. God gives us grace to live. God gives us every good, every perfect gift which is in heaven that we might be able to walk this journey and come to that saving knowledge And then share that saving knowledge with the world. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and pray. We've got the agape feast in just a minute. And some of you will rush on out to the dessert table like I told you. Others will go get your kids. And others of you might go get a cookie and find a kid. And meet another brother or sister in the Lord. You're going to spend eternity in heaven with. Father, I want to thank you so much for uh, Luke and, and his faithfulness to, to study deeply and then record stories of you. How exciting it is to know what we know of you. How exciting it's going to be to know you as we are known. Until that day, Lord, I pray that you will help us and help us to help each other I pray a special prayer this morning for the parents. And that could be an 80-year-old parent trying to raise a 60-year-old child. Help us. Help us, Lord, to recognize who you are and what business it is that truly you are about. That we could share that with the world. I pray right now for every soul in this room. 
whatever it is you've spoken to them today, Lord Jesus. I pray they would just take a moment somewhere in this day and find a place to talk to you about it and see what you would have them do with it in Jesus' name. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.